Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.tv. Now let's hear a word from God today. Hey, that's great. Hey, welcome here this morning. It is Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, y'all can do better than that. Listen, some advertisers are paying lots of money because it's Super Bowl Sunday. How many excited about the Super Bowl? Oh, that's good. That's good. Hey, uh, I want to tell you, if you're a Panthers fan, there's a chance you're going to win. And if you're a Broncos fan, there's a chance you're going to win. All right. But I want to do something today because the day's the opening of I Love My Church series. So I want to begin with one of these. Okay. I love my church. Can I get an amen? Come on. I'm ready. Okay, we're going to have a good time. I want to welcome both of our campuses here today. If you're worshiping with us at Noonan, man, thank you. If you're worshiping in LaGrange, we're so glad that we're here together. You say, who is the crazy guy with the weird t-shirt on, okay? My name is Pastor Sean, and I am so excited about the series that we're about to do over the next couple of weeks. We are going to look at some crazy things about why we should love the church, okay? And I know some of you go, oh my gosh, is this a shameless promotion for Southcrest? Listen, when you leave today, you won't be saying that because what God wants to teach us about the church is a really, really, really big deal. So we did this little tweet in this week, okay? I don't know if you guys have seen The Late Show with Jimmy Fallon, but a lot of times he has people tweet in things. And so all week long, we had people tweet in crazy things that they love. Crazy things that they love. And so we found like four or five of the best and we want to look at them real quick, okay? Crazy things that people love. The first one comes from Dale Wesson. It says, crazy things I love running 48.6 miles in four days. That is crazy, okay? How many of you agree that's crazy? Okay, you should join Dale and I for a run then, all right? Number two, Brittany Willard, she's on our staff team. She's one of our interns. She says, crazy things I love. Cats, now that's weird. Snapchat filters, crazy things I love. Listen, anyone who loves cats has probably been doing drugs. Okay, Brittany, celebrate recovery, girl. That's all I got to say. In fact, I think she sent in a picture for us. Okay, that is just weird. Okay, that is weird. That's another one of our team members there. And uh, pray for her. Okay, crazy things that she loves. Look at the third one real quick, real quick. This one comes from our campus pastor at LaGrange, Pete Shoger. We call him Shog Knight. And uh, I like to dip my Doritos in peanut butter. It is good. Hashtag crazy things I love. Okay, does anyone else feel that that's crazy. Okay. That's crazy. And then look at this last one here. This one comes from Lauren Inlow. It says French fries dipped in tartar sauce. Hashtag crazy things I love. Hashtag don't worry. I'm not pregnant. Hashtag I'm strange. Listen, we love some crazy things in life, right? I mean, some of you were so embarrassed about the crazy thing you love that you wouldn't even tell us on Twitter. You're like, oh no, I can't, my friends will judge me, okay? But the truth is you go home and there's these things that you just love. And so I don't know about you, but in the South, I think there's probably some things that we all love. Things we all love. In fact, I wanna show you a couple photos and here's what I want you to do because some of you need to get the blood flowing today like it's Super Bowl Sunday, like you need to get ready because you're gonna eat a lot of calories tonight. And so here's what you need to do. If you love the picture of what I'm about to show because this is what everybody in the South loves, then I want you to stand to your feet and cheer. You ready? One, two, three, first one. 
<laughs> Chick-fil-A! Everybody in the South loves Chick-fil-A. You're not even Christian if you don't love Chick-fil-A. You're lost if you don't love Chick-fil-A, right? Number two, we all love this. Stand up and cheer. <laughs> oh man, Chris, Krispy Kreme. Your children right now are in all of our kids' areas having Krispy Kreme, so we are not responsible for the sugar intake today, okay? Everybody in the South loves some Krispy Kreme. But let me tell you another one. Everybody in the South loves this. You ready? Go. College football. Yeah. My wife looked at me yesterday and said, you realize there's no football on until August after today. (sighs) I'm struggling. Listen, everybody in the South loves college football. We love college football so much that as we talk about loving the church today, I want to show you, believe it or not, I want to show you some of the best places in the South to worship on a Saturday. Let me show you the first one. Y'all recognize this place? Yeah, come on. Your eagle's not dead, okay? Some of you, like, this is awesome. This is like the Auburn Stadium. And listen, it gets so crazy because I've been to some of these games before. They actually, like, take a bird and stick him at the top and they let him fly down. And as he's flying down, people go into a charismatic frenzy. They're like, ah! Oh, here comes the bird. And as it lands, they go, Where you go? Hey, that's some bad worship going on right there. Let me show you another one real quick. This is another place where people love to go worship. Hold on. You guys won the national title, didn't you? Is that all you got? Listen, look at all these people. Look, 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 look how happy they are. Look how, look, they spelt their name. And they knew how to spell it. <laughs> yeah. And they love, they love their worship experience so much that they have this elephant. And I still hadn't figured out where all that fits in. So some of y'all can educate me about that later. And then let me show you this other place that people love to go worship on Saturdays. It's right here. <laughs> Listen, when I preach and it gets good, would y'all do that? <laughs> a pastor Sean says something good. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, I expect that today. Okay, here's what I love about this place of worship. People gather here and they love this place so much that every week they make sure these hedges are perfect. I just think that's pretty cool right there. All right, listen, whether you realize it or not, these are the three largest places of worship in the South. Let me, tell, let me tell you how, how awesome they are, okay? Everyone there worships very enthusiastically. They show up early. They stay late. They never complain about the crowds. They never complain about how loud it is. In fact, they show up so early, they actually bring things and they camp out in the parking lot and they talk to people they don't know and act like they've known them forever. I mean, it's crazy. Think about it. Listen, they get there so early, and, and the crazy thing about this is when they show up, they're willing to pay $10 for a hot dog or $10 for a bumper sticker, and they leave happy about it, which I just think is weird. Think about it this way. Every one of these teams, 
They love running up the score on the opposer, don't they? How many of you guys love it when your team runs up the score? How many of you love it when you win big? Like, win so big, you like talk about it like for two weeks, right? They never complain when they run up the score. Listen, these are some of the greatest places of worship in the South. And we act as if in America, especially in the South, because I love college football. I'm not dogging it. I'm just saying that we act like it's a big deal. And it is a big deal to a lot of us. But I want to ask you a question. Why is it not okay if you have a favorite football team, a favorite band, a favorite movie, a favorite actor? Why is it not okay to love your church the same way? Really? Why is it not okay? I mean, it's not that it's not okay because we, oh yeah, Sean, I love my church. Like we should love the church. But in our culture, like we can love a lot of things, but when it comes to the church, sometimes we don't have the same passion that we do for college football or for a Krispy Kreme donut or, or for something else maybe in our life. Why is it okay to have all these other favorites? I, I was not too long ago out in the, the community and I invited a lady to come to our church and she got angry at me. Give me that, give that card back to you. I was like, what did I do? She began to tell me what church she went to. She was angry that I just cared enough about her that I actually pulled an invite card out of my pocket and said, hey, I don't know if you go to church anywhere, but we would love for you to come to Southcrest. And she was mad. It's, it's crazy. Why can't we love a favorite college football team, a favorite donut, a favorite fast food? But yet when you love your church or you love the church, like Jesus loves the church, people think you're weird. Why is that in our culture? You see, not everyone loves the church. In fact, sometimes in our culture, we've been given a bad rap as the church. I'm talking about the big C church. Like our culture looks at us sometimes and says, you guys are real narrow or you're real, you know, lambastic about things or you have, you have more things that you're against than things that you're for. And you know, I totally get that because I didn't grow up in church. How many of you did not grow up in church? Both of our campuses, raise your hand, all right? Many of you did not grow up in church. In fact, some of us, the reason why we still love the church today is because we didn't grow up in it, right? And for some of you that had a drug problem, like your parents drug you to church <laughs> as a little child, you struggle with the church because you've seen some crazy things in the church. You have met some mean people in the church. I remember growing up in Oklahoma City, I met some people that really turned me off to the church. I remember driving down some of the roads and there would be these guys and, and they were from this Bible college and they were set on the corner to basically preach out loud to the cars. Okay, we kind of played pinball with them a little bit. But uh, they were out there and they were basically yelling at everyone and you would roll down your window and you would hear hell about every other fourth or fifth word. You're gonna go to hell. <laughs> hell is a dark place. You're, and I thought, wow, that's, that's crazy. And yet as a young teenager and as a young person, that's what I thought the church was about. I thought the church was about what we're against, not what we're for. Not everybody loves the church. Some people say the church is irrelevant. Some people say the church is just nothing but an organization. You know, we kind of fit in there with Kiwanis and YMCA and Boy Scouts and everything else. And the truth is, that's not true. You see, we have no problem telling everyone about something we love. In fact, the other night I was at one of our football games at the end of uh, last semester, 
and uh, the Northgate Vikings were playing in the semifinals. Yeah, you guys had an awesome season. And I was at that football game at Alatoona. And as I'm sitting there, there's this lady, she walks up to me and she says, listen, I don't know if you want to sit here because I'm about to get really crazy and I have a cowbell and I'm going to shake it the whole time. And here's what I thought to myself. I wonder what church would be like if people arrived that way. Hey, listen, I'm about to sit here and I'm going to raise my hands to Jesus because he's worthy of it. And I'm going to sing at the top of my lungs because he's changed my life. And I'm going to tell you why I love my church. And when it's time to give, I'm actually going to give. And when it's time to serve, I'm actually going to serve. Why? Because I love my church. I love my church. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Come on. Listen, some of you need to pull out some Gatorade and start flashing it on each other, okay? I thought, I want to be like that woman every single Sunday morning. I want to show up early. I want to stay late. And I want to love my church. If you have your Bible today, I want you to turn to Ephesians 3. And as you turn there, I want to make one key statement to you. We always find a way to celebrate what we worship in life. We always do. We always find a way to celebrate what we worship in life. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is talking to the Ephesians church about every spiritual blessing that we have in Christ. He's trying to not only help us understand our identity, but he's trying to help us understand where part of that identity lies. And in chapter 3, he begins to talk about how God has set him apart as a person, as a leader, to begin to share a mystery with the world, a secret with the world, that till this point, the world has never understood. And here's how he was saying he was going to share the mystery. He said, long ago, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. And for a long time, the Jews knew they were God's chosen people. And the Gentiles knew that they weren't God's chosen people. And he said, but through Christ... Jews and Gentiles are now one. And then he said, in the process of God bringing us all together through Jesus, God is revealing a mystery to the world. And that mystery is the church. You see, Jesus said the church is kind of a big deal. I think we ought to believe that the church is a bigger deal in our life. I'm not talking just about the name of Southcrest. I'm talking about the church. Like Jesus' church. We are the church. The big C church. But Paul, in Ephesians 3, makes a very profound statement that I want us to catch today. Look at Ephesians 3, starting with verse 10. His intent, in other words, God's will. He's talking about God here. He said, his intent was that now, through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known. So it's God's will through what? Through the church that God's manifold wisdom should be known. Like we should be excited to tell the world about why the church exists, right? He said, it should be known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places according to his eternal purpose that he, look, accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus came and died for us so that the church could exist. 
And so that we would understand what this thing is all about. This is more than lights. This is more than buildings. This is more than songs. This is more than screens. It is about Jesus and the good news of Jesus Christ. And he says, it's God's will that through the church, God wants to show the world his manifold wisdom and everything that Jesus did for us. And then look at verse 12. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. When Paul said these words, he was explaining to us the mystery of the church. The church is a pretty big deal. He says in that phrase, he says, I want you to know the manifold wisdom of God. That word manifold represents back in the old days, back in the biblical days, if you were very wealthy, you would wear a coat and that coat would have incurtly uh, weaved little threads all over there that would basically kind of make you kind of look adorned. And here's what he was saying, through the church, God wants to show the world kind of an HD of his love. Now, I don't know if you remember this. Some of you uh, teenagers, you, you know, you're so young, maybe you don't remember this day. I remember when we didn't have HD TVs. Y'all remember that? Yeah. I remember walking into Best Buy for the first time and seeing my first HD television. Because I had, I had one of those tube televisions, right, in my house that was like 179,000 pounds. And uh, I walk into Best Buy and I see my first high different television and I look at it and I go, Here's what Paul was saying. Through the church, God wants to show the world the HD of his love. Through the church. Through the church. Through his church. Through the church. It's amazing. Think about it. God wants to make his love and his grace known to the world through his church. I want to make a very profound statement to you today. Listen to this. The church is God's chosen conduit to take his love and his message to the world. Do you believe that? I believe that. I've been in ministry 27 years now. My whole entire, I know nothing else in my life. You say, well, you've been trained to think that way. No, listen, I am convinced to think this way, that the church is a pretty stinking, honking big deal to God. And it's God's conduit to take his love and his message to the world. And if that's true, then it's more than what we think it is sometimes. It's, it's a pretty big deal. And here's where we struggle with that because a lot of times we try to think we know what the church is for. Like we try to judge the motive of the church, but, but it's really clear, I wanna make this to you. It's a movement, not a monument. Because a lot of times when people talk about church in the South, they talk about which one? <laughs> which church? The one on that corner? The one on that corner? The one with a steeple? The one without a steeple? The one meeting in a warehouse? The one meeting in a school? Like, where is the one meeting in a theater? Like, where is that church? But yet I want to say this. The church, it's a movement. It's not a monument. And God wants us to know that because if we understand that, we realize what Jesus was saying about the church. Through the church, he wants to show God's love and God's message to the world. I kind of think about it this way because sometimes people go, well, man, how can we be a church? Like we meet in a warehouse. LaGrange, you meet in a theater. 
Like, I, it's crazy. I've actually invited people to church before, and they go, where is your church? Well, it's, it's down in the industrial park. We meet in the, the it's in a warehouse. Oh, I'm not coming. Why? <laughs> it's in a warehouse. Some of you in LaGrange, like you invite people all the time. Hey, hey I, 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 I want to come to your church, but it's in a theater. Are you kidding me? Church in a theater? The same place where I see 007? <gasps> Listen, the church, it's a movement, not a monument. I, I like to say it this way. Jesus never waited on a building to change the world, and neither should we. If we need a building to change the world, the church will never be the church that God wants it to be and the conduit to take his message to the world. It's a movement. And I want to say this because I just got back from Israel. It is a worldwide movement. One night I'm sitting in my hotel and I'm down uh, doing some study time and I'm in the foyer area and there's all these people. We're in Tiberias at this time. All these people sitting around me. And over here, these people are speaking Chinese. Over here, these speak, people are speaking Spanish. And over here, I don't know what language they were speaking. I mean, it could be redneck Armenian, I don't know. But here was the thought I had. Every single person that's here is not here to see Mickey Mouse. They're not here for a Shamu bar. They're here because they're a part of a worldwide movement that can change the world. It's a movement, not a monument. Some of you go, well, I wish we had bigger buildings. I wish we had a building. I wish, listen, Jesus doesn't need a monument to have a movement. We are the church. Say it with me. We are the church. Say it with me. We are the church. And I love my church. And Jesus loves his church. You know what's crazy about that? Paul goes on to say one more thing in this same thought that he has in Ephesians 3. And remember, the whole context is the church. Look what he says in verse 20. Chapter 3, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, the church, look what he says. To him be what? Glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. I love what he says. He says, glory in the church. So when I meet people, they go, you know what, Sean? I got my favorite football team. Man, I'm jacked about Chick-fil-A. I'm excited about Coca-Cola. I can't wait to go to another college football game. And then you say, hey, you ever thought about putting a bumper sticker about your church on your back window? No way, dude. Hey, have you ever thought about inviting someone to church? Ah, oh, man. <laughs> Here's what's crazy about that. We are to glory in the church. We ought to make it a big honking deal. You know what I love about this verse in verse 20? He says it this way. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more. How many of you believe God wants immeasurably more for your life? Raise your hand. I do. I believe God wants immeasurably more for my life. But I want to make a statement to you in regards to the church. God has more in store for the church. If God has something greater in store for our lives personally, 
then God has something greater in store for his church. God has more in store for his church. And here's what's crazy about that. Some of us here, we think, you know, I have this amazing plan for my life. And the truth is you need to surrender your plan because God's plan for your life is so much bigger. That's what we spent all of January talking about, right? God wants to repurpose our life. Oh, but it's so much bigger than that. God has more in store for the church and God has more in store for you. So I asked this question to myself this week. If we believe God wants more for us, then why do we think he wants less for the church? Because sometimes we kind of act that way, right? I mean, I was noticing the other day, I was watching some, some of the Iowa caucuses, real interesting television, by the way. It's a faux election, all right? People aren't really voting. I mean, they're bean counting at the end of that thing. But I was watching some of the people in the crowd and looking at the excitement and the hope in their face. They are so passionate about their political candidate. Like, OMG, like if if he gets elected or if she gets elected, like the whole world will change. And I go, no, 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 no. We ought to be more passionate about the church of Jesus Christ than we are a political candidate. We ought to. The church can do more than the political process even in America can do. But, but here's what we do. We put on social media and stickers, all of our favorite candidates, but yet sometimes we never tell people, hey, listen, man, won't you, why don't you come to church with me? We should never be more passionate about our political candidate than we are a church or the church. If God wants more for the church, why do people sometimes gasp when the church shares their budget with people? I mean, I just asked myself some honest questions this week. I mean, I, I remember one time sharing the budget like with the church one time and, and hey, this is gonna be our budget this year and people gasp. <gasps> $2.4 million. <gasps> let, me, let me help you have some perspective, okay? Last year, <laughs> I'm just gonna pick on it because you guys are national champions, all right? University of Alabama, Y'all brought in $153 million last year. That's right. I'm going to say it better. Roll cash. (laughs) Roll cash, baby. Listen, in 2014, you had a $33 million surplus just because people gave more than what was expected. And we look at our football team and we go, oh man, I'm glad because at the end of the day, I want to make sure that everybody loves Alabama football or that everyone loves the Bulldogs or everyone loves the Sooners or whatever your football team is. In fact, here's what's crazy. They weren't even the top college football revenue program. You know who it was? Oregon. $193 million Oregon brought in. Okay, that's a whole lot of highlighter colored uniforms. That's all I'm going to say. But I want you to hear this. I love that. I'm for that. I'm excited about that. But why doesn't anybody gasp when they hear that? Because the truth is you may have a national title or you may have a West championship or you may have this or that or whatever, but I'm pretty pretty sure that not one person will be changed for eternity for the dollars that were spent. 
Say, wow, that's very convicting, Sean. Hey, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to put it all in perspective for us. We ought to love the church and we shouldn't gasp. In fact, as a pastor, I'm waiting for the day that we share the budget and someone says, uh, pastor, that's too low. Okay, first of all, I want to give you a really awesome trick. I want to tell you how to kill your senior pastor, no matter where you ever go to church, okay? Here's what you do. You walk up to him after he shares the budget and here's what you say. Pastor, I think that budget's too low. Then say, I think we ought to look at reevaluating and maybe upping it by about 30 to 40% because I want to reach more people for Jesus than just that. And by that time, he's in cardiac arrest. And as as you're actually doing the chest compressions, go over and whisper in his ear, and I want to write the first check. And it'll kill him. That's how you get rid of a preacher. (laughs) Just tell him you're more serious about giving to the kingdom than we are about giving to college football. Because listen, I love college football, but God didn't leave us here to love college football. He left us here to love the church and we are here to change the world. Not just win national titles. God wants more for his church. And he wants more for our lives. He wants more. Jesus said it's a big deal. If Jesus wants more for the church, we should want more for the church. I'm not just talking financially. I'm talking about serving. I'm talking about praying. I'm talking about investing yourself in other people's lives, discipling people, getting involved, leading life groups. Listen, it's so much more than writing a check. Some of us, we have written a check and we need to put the checks aside and we need to go write our life. Because it's easy for us to give, but we need to say, you know what? I love the church and I love the kingdom of heaven so much that I want to give myself. I want to do more than just give money. Jesus said it's a big deal. We ought to make it a big deal. Some of us say, well, I don't need the church. Like, Sean, you don't understand. Like, I've got my own podcast. I I can just... I can come to church when I want and I can just kind of listen to anybody I want. Listen, I understand we're in that day. The difference is this, listen, when Jesus talked about the church, it was never about Jesus and me. It was about Jesus and we. In fact, I want to say it to you this way. The church is about Jesus and we, not just Jesus and me. We need each other. We are a spiritual organism left here to change the world. And it's more than just about what I get out of it personally because even when God talked about the church, he was very specific in what he meant. You see, the word church means ecclesia. And ecclesia means this, the called out ones. So if you're a Christ follower and you are following Jesus and you are engaged in the church, God is saying this, I have called you out of this world to be a part of this organism called the church. And now I want to send you back into the world because the the other part of this word means to be called out to go forth. God has called us out as the church. And now I want you to go forth and change the world. So if you have a pen, I want you to write two things down. I want to tell you two reasons why I love my church. I mean, I I could give you 50,000, but I want to give you two. Number one, It's about life change. Here's why I love the church. It's about life change. It's never been about budgets. It's never been about buildings. It's never been about ministries. It's never been about 
crazy methodologies that we come up with in the church. This week when I sat down, I said, if I really boiled all the water out of the pot, why do I love the church? Because it's about life change. Jesus, when he came on the scene, said this. Look at Luke 4.18. Jesus said this in the synagogue right after he came out of his fast for 40 days and was tempted by Satan. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Jesus was clear. He was all about life change. You know what's crazy about this verse? I've never met a poor person who said, I really hope I stay poor. In fact, the moment that they begin to become rich in something, they realize I don't have to stay poor. Why? Because Jesus doesn't give us good news so we can stay poor. He gives us good news so we can become rich. And then he goes on to say, freedom for the prisoners. I've never met a prisoner that says, well, I can't wait to go back to jail. I hope I get to go back to prison in a year. (laughs) If they do, they're deranged. (laughs) What they do every day of their life is they celebrate the freedom. Jesus said he was all about life change. You know what I love about my church? It is all about life change. I say it this way. People can come and be healed and changed by Jesus. That's why I love the church. I love a lot of other things, but this is why I love the church. People can come and be healed. It doesn't matter how jacked up, janked up, messed up, blown out, drug out, what, it doesn't matter. Listen, people can come, either of these campuses, you can come here, it doesn't matter. You say, well, I've got all this, everyone's told, I understand all that. Listen, Jesus is about life change. He's not about just behavior modification. He's about changing our lives. And why do I love the church? Because it's about life change. I mean, think about it. Lost people can be found. Hurting people can be healed. Hopeless people can find hope. Blind people can see. For the first time in my life, spiritually, I've never understood how God can just literally remove the blinders and then suddenly someone realizes God does have a purpose for my life. People who are discouraged can find courage. Why? Because the church is about life change. It's about life change. I want to say it to you this way. We need to get addicted to life change here. We need to get more addicted to life change. Because when we do, you know what will happen? Our preferences will just kind of go to the wayside. And I've been in church long enough, I know that people have lots of preferences, right? People go, I prefer this style of worship. <laughs> I, prefer, I, I prefer this type of teaching. I prefer, listen, when you're addicted to life change, you don't prefer much other than Jesus and people being changed by him. Can I get an amen? That's what you care about. I mean, it's funny because no one's ever asked me, hey, Sean, what do you prefer? So I just wrote down four. I'm just gonna read them to you real quick. <laughs> I prefer people who love Jesus and bring others to him. I prefer people who show up early, stay late, and serve others. I prefer people who tithe to Jesus instead of tip to Jesus so other people have the same opportunity to hear about Jesus that they did. I prefer people who are as passionate and loud for Jesus and his church as they are their favorite college football team. That's just what I prefer. 
You say, well, that's it. I'm leaving the church. Listen, if you leave the church because Jesus challenges your business, then you need to give your life to Jesus today because he wants to change your life. He wants to change your life just like he changed my life. Let me tell you the other reason why I love the church. It's the hope of the world. It's the hope of the world. It's the hope of the world. That's what the church is. Let me explain it to you this way. The hope of the world is not what happens in the next election. Did you hear that? Don't be going all cray-cray about, OMG, if he wins, we're all dead. No, we're not. Jesus is Lord. All the time, he's Lord. The hope of the world is not even in turning around the American economy. Some of you go, if we could just have more money in our pockets. That's not the hope of the world. Listen, the hope of the world is not even in defeating terrorism. The hope of the world is Jesus Christ and his church. And we are the expression of that hope. So I want to say it to you this way. Hope changes everything. Hope changes everything. When you have hope, it changes everything in your life. Think about it. When you know you're going to get a tax return, you got hope. Hey, the kids are going to eat. We're going to live in the house two more months. Why? Because hope changes everything. In 1945, there was a British lieutenant colonel named Mervyn Willett Gonan. He was one of the first of British soldiers that was supposed to come into this concentration camp in Bergen-Belsen and began to liberate the people that had been stuck in this Holocaust, Holocaust concentration camp. These people had lived so long in the concentration camp that in his personal diary, Lieutenant Colonel Mervyn says this. He basically says, when we arrived on the scene, people had such bad dysentery from bad water that they were literally sitting on the side of the roads bleeding out. Their stomachs were bloated, and when we got to them, most of them were half dead. But in his journal, he wrote about an instance that happened. And it helps you understand how, cho- how hope changes everything. Listen to what he said. This is his personal journal. It was shortly after the British Red Cross arrived, though it may have no connection, that a very large quantity of lipstick arrived. This was not at all what the men wanted. We were screaming for hundreds and thousands of other things, and I don't know who asked for lipstick. I wish so much that I could discover who did it because it was an action of genius Sheer, unadulterated brilliance. I believe nothing did more for these internees than the lipstick. Women lay in bed with no sheets and no nighty, but with scarlet red lips. You saw them wandering about with nothing but a blanket over their shoulders, but with scarlet red lips. I saw a woman dead on the post-mortem table and clutched in her hand was a piece of lipstick. At last, someone had done something to make them individuals again. They were someone again. No longer merely the number tattooed on their arm. At least they could have an interest in their appearance. And that lipstick started to give them back their humanity. And it gave them hope. You see, hope changes everything. 
Why do I love the church? Because it's the hope of the world. Let me tell you, that is an amazing story of hope. But I want to tell you the hope that we have as the church of Jesus Christ. All right, here it is. Right here. An empty tomb. Three weeks ago, while I was in Israel on my final day, I walked into the garden area in front of this garden tomb, and I stood there and watched hundreds and hundreds of people from all over the world go in, and they went in in such awe, and they came out in such celebration, because here's what they were remembering. The empty tomb means I have hope. Greater than a piece of lipstick. That is the hope that we get to share with the world. The church is the hope of the world. I want you to bow your heads with me today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Southcrest Church. You can connect with us on our app today. There you can watch, listen, or even give to this ministry. If you have any questions or want to share your story with us, you can send us an email at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.